to welcome her to Davison Free Methodist Church. All right, thank you. Hello. Who knew that out here in Davison, Michigan, I would find more than one person who had a connection to Washington? There are some folks, I, I'm the pastor of Ballard Church in Seattle, and there are some folks uh, who were a part of Ballard Church in the 60s, they told me. Um, I tried to offer a job uh, because he said that he did the cleaning of the church, um, and they were not convinced uh, to move back west to Seattle, but uh, it's good uh, to be with you here this morning. Um, Well, a year and a half ago, I did make that significant transition in my life, and I accepted the job as a lead pastor uh, at that church. It's in the northern part of Seattle, and it was a different part uh, of the city. Seattle's a big city, and it was a different enough part of the city uh, than where I had been living. So I actually sold my condo and sorted through everything that I owned and uh, stored some of my belongings while I was in between looking for a place and lived out of a suitcase. Uh, and then, uh, you know, there I am going through my belongings. And as you do, I sold some stuff, got rid of some stuff, donated stuff, had my real estate agent say, no, Allison, the dumpster is where uh, that item belongs. Uh, So that was uh, good to have. Uh, But there I am at this time of transition, and I got together with a group of friends, and I I shared with them how I felt that this new season, uh, this new job, a new place to live, a new community, uh, a new group of friends was going to be this opportunity for me to not go only through my belongings, but also kind of examine my life and, and make some changes. Have you ever uh, been in that spot where uh, you've moved to a new place and, or a new something in life and you, you resolve that, yes, Things, they will be different. They should be different. Uh, Only to discover that when you moved, you brought you with you. Uh, (laughs) Have you ever transitioned to something new or read a book that sparked new ideas, uh, encountered some kind of circumstance that made you feel, yes, I have a new kind of determination. Uh, I'm going to change some things. And yet, uh, when you turn over a new leaf, you find that... uh, you're still there on the other side. (laughs) Uh, Well, there's this uh, author, speaker, a Catholic priest. His name is Brennan Manning. And he wrote this book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And towards the end of his life, uh, he wrote uh, a memoir about what it was like and and all the different things that went into his life. And and he had wrestled with alcoholism uh, during his life. And so people would often ask him in his life, Brennan, how could you relapse into alcoholism after your Abba encounters? After all your God encounters, how could you relapse? And he said after many years, he whittled down the answer to a three-word response. These things happen. Have you ever wrestled with being the you that you want to be only to find that you keep coming up short? He talked about a nun who said to him, you should all over yourself. I want to say that carefully so you surely hear what I said. (laughs) You should all over yourself and it leaves you feeling down in the dumps. 
Well, the well-known poet Shel Silverstein put it this way, all the woulda, coulda, shouldas laying in the sun, talking about the things they woulda, coulda, shoulda done, but those woulda, coulda, shouldas all ran away and hid from one little did. Well, this summer at Davison FMC, I know that you've been talking about all of these different stories uh, of different people throughout the Old Testament, and it got me thinking, what is it that the stories of the Bible teach us about who God is and who we are as humans? Uh, And there's this one moment that I came to where uh, God's people, it's after years that they've been wandering in the wilderness, they come to this point when they're finally going to move into the promised land, and Joshua gathers the people together and he says, it's time to make a choice. Will you renew your commitment to God to serve the Lord only and not go after uh, other gods? And, And the people, they get all caught up in what's next. They're caught up in what is new. And they have this new kind of determination in their hearts. And they say, not just once, but four times, we will serve the Lord our God and we will obey him. And they don't just say it. They even have a covenant renewal ceremony, and they say, we're going to do right, we're going to be right, we're going to love and serve God only, and they recommit uh, to their relationship with God. But you probably already know where this is headed. I mean, all you have to do is just turn the page, uh, and what you see right away is that the Israelites break their commitment They do what they said they would not do, uh, what they know they should not do, and we find them weeping out loud. So they have this choice, and they realize there in their own stories that this choice to disobey God's best leads to terrible consequences. And so what we get in the pages after that are these stories uh, that need a warning label. The stories that happen after this moment, they should say explicit content, not suitable for children. I mean, this is the part of the Bible that people uh, just love to avoid. Not, I mean, like Christians are kind of uncomfortable when you get to this part of the Bible. Uh, there are these unsettling, unpopular passages uh, that make us uncomfortable because they're filled with this kind of uh, senseless and excessive violence, there's moral confusion, social chaos, political corruption, religious hypocrisy, and failed leadership. The pages there that you find, they're filled with uncertainty over gender roles and different groups of people fighting with one another. There's abuse, there's sex, there's scandal kind of like what we see in the news and in our world today. It's kind of what you find here in the Bible. It's kind of like the reality TV that you uh, either don't admit that you like watching uh, or you can't handle watching because of what it has. Uh, Perhaps our discomfort with these stories has to do with some of the raw honesty of a message that hits a little too close to home for us. Uh, So in the book of Judges, 
Uh, there's about where we are in the, in the Bible. In the book of Judges, if you were streaming this book in Netflix, every episode would follow a similar plot line, but then each and every episode would progressively become darker later in the season as the cycle repeats and the people begin to spiral, spiral downward. And the tagline would read, each person did what they thought to be right in their own eyes. And so here's the basic plot that happens in these stories in Judges. Uh, the people do evil. God becomes angry. The people cry out. So God is moved to compassion. God raises up a deliverer. And the leader dies. And the cycle repeats. Uh, the plot line is so predictable in these stories that when I get to the points in the story where the people say, yes, I will serve the Lord. No, really, this time we mean it. No, really, we will be faithful. We will be good. I start yelling on the inside. And if I'm by myself, I might yell out loud and I say, don't buy it. Don't fall for that line again. I mean, these people, they have loyalty issues. God, are you seriously believing them? I mean, have you ever like stopped and been like, really? But God, like you're God. Like, are you really believing this right now? Because it's only a matter of time before these people are going to break their word. It's kind of like when I watch uh, the show's Property Brothers or Fixer Upper. Any fans in here? Come on. They're, yes, see, if I give it a moment, there are people confess. Yes, yes. Any design show, you can admit it. Um, every show has the same plot line. Uh, the people buy a house that's a Fixer Upper. Uh, they always go into the deal with the promise of an amazing new design. And every time... Every time, about a third of the way through the episode, something goes wrong. And every time I think, did they really think that there were going to be no issues? Did they really think uh, that they would not find something? I mean, of course they're going to uncover some kind of mold damage or faulty wiring or a post that can't be removed or that promise in the living room for that open concept space. I mean, of course they're going to find that thing in the show, every single episode. But this is what is both irritating and appealing about reality TV. And it's what draws us into any story. Life is full of conflict and challenges. And that's not the surprising part. That's not the surprising part. Uh, what we watch when we watch these shows is to see if and how these challenges will be overcome. And then when the episode ends, we don't get up from the couch because there it promises us in the bottom of our screen that in 15 seconds, uh, a new episode is going to begin again and that same plot line is going to happen again and we lay there or sit there and we keep watching. Am I alone in this or does anybody else get... You don't have to raise your hand. I know some of you don't want to confess that that's your reality. <laughs> uh, that's fine. Well, Walt Disney. Uh, Walt Disney was someone who believed that good art and good stories must meet a very high standard. He believed that they must make people feel deeply 
They must be able to carry the full spectrum of human reality. And so he created Mickey Mouse, and he created other cartoons, and he forged this whole brand new territory in storytelling and in film. Uh, And he created a full-length feature film called Snow White. And what he had in his mind in creating this new art form at that time was that uh, storytelling should be something that makes you both laugh and cry and both sing and sigh. I mean, Disney was so cutting edge, and he became known for making films that dealt with the realistic stuff of life, like outsiders struggling for acceptance, people facing temptation and loss, uh, people searching for love and meaning and redemption, uh, the struggle between good and evil, and the journey to survive. And so Disney created Pinocchio, a wooden puppet in search of his true identity and filled with this desire to be human. Adults and children alike uh, have always watched Disney, right? My grandmother was the one who always used us grandkids as the excuse to go see the Disney movies. Uh, But we all watch them because we resonate with struggle, and we too are on a journey, and we too are searching for meaning and love and redemption, and we get the plot, and we long for our own life's story to see some kind of resolution. Which brings us to these stories in the book of Judges, and the stories of these people that we find throughout the Bible. Stories that are a kind of imaginative, prophetic narrative that serve to underscore a dark reality that is actually a normal part of human experience. It's a kind of theology that's conveyed through the art of storytelling, and it carries the weight of the big stuff of life. And it makes us both laugh and cry and sing and sigh. Judges is full of these stories of survival in the face of great pain and evil. And it's a book of weeping, of struggle, but also a book that's filled with irony and intrigue and humor and hyperbole. And if you look carefully at the stories, you start to see that it's full of these underdogs who outsmart their enemies and get a surprising lead role in the story. And so for that time, it's amazing because you see women who rise up in courage and they don't shrink back when the men shrink back in the story. You have Deborah who commands action and Jael who conquers a military leader, Sisera, with a tent stake and a hammer. And then there is someone who is left-handed. Did you know that left-handed people, how many left-handed people do we have in here? Oh man, whew, you are the underdogs. You, you're crazy people. I mean, the Bible was like, they use that as like, this is a left-handed person. I mean, can you believe that the left-handed ones in our midst actually contribute to God's kingdom? Thank you for understanding my humor and sarcasm. (laughs) If anyone was left to doubt, (laughs) 
Uh, but here you have this left-handed deliverer named Ehud who cunningly, cunningly tricks a very obese, a very fat King Eglon, and he loses his sword in the fat, in the giant belly of Eglon. And so judges even use his bathroom humor which I know makes us uncomfortable in church, but it's there. It uses bathroom humor, and it makes the story entertaining because Ehud escapes because the smell of King Eglon's guts make the guards assume, well, that he's doing something in the private chamber, uh, of course, and needs a little bit more time. I promise you it's all there. Uh, check it out. This is in the Bible. But just like we're drawn into good stories because they make us feel deeply, they make us know that we're not alone, we also need good stories to help us face the truth about ourselves and some of life's hardest realities. Uh, the surprise in the story is not the struggle. Uh, it's not that people have loyalty issues or that people repeatedly fail. The intrigue of the story is the discovery of how the plot resolves and how the conflict is overcome. And so we need stories to help us keep this hope alive and to pro provide something along the journey that says, me too. And we need stories that call us out and stories that will challenge us. Uh, Richard Rohr is a Franciscan priest, and he says this. He says, the real genius of the prophets is the inclusion of the negative, that the Jewish people have the courage, the chutzpah, to include in their sacred scriptures that they are full of it. They include that. They include the bad and the negative. I mean, we need stories to remind us that, yes, our loyalty issues have consequences and cause us pain, but also that there is good news. There is hope. And without that, we would just keep spiraling downward. I think that ironically, one of the hardest things for Christians to admit is that we have issues. Uh, somehow, we are great at creating a culture of perfectionism. I mean, now that I know Jesus, I totally have my act together. Uh, and we tell stories, yes, I'm a sinner saved by grace, and that from now on, your life, though, your life should be this life of constant obedience and service. And Christians, what we tend to do is we take on a kind of superiority complex and reinforce the, the image of, well, we're kind of like better than the rest. Uh, we, uh, we're better than those who aren't spiritual like I am spiritual or like so-and-so is spiritual. And this ends up creating an underlying kind of problem for us. I mean, what do we do? What do we do when we find uh, ourselves that we have loyalty issues? Yeah. What do we do when we have a bad day or a bad week, a bad year or two or even ten? Uh, what happens when we fall off the spiritual bandwagon? Life is full of all kinds of ups and downs. And sometimes even we can find ourselves feeling spiritually bipolar, on and off 
and on again. One moment we feel close to God, and then in the next we feel dry and distant. Uh, One moment our faith feels vibrant, and then in the next moment we're doubting at our core. And God forbid that we should fail. God forbid that we would mess up. And so we start to spin things. Well, I'm not controlling. I just like things my way. I'm not proud. I just like to walk in my strengths. I'm not image conscious. I just like to look good. I don't have a drinking problem. I just had one too many at the party again. I don't have anger issues with that person at work. I just told them how it is. I don't have intimacy issues. Things are just too busy for me to be at home very much right now. And on and on and on we spin. And we often get caught up in these two kind of extremes of a narrative that can be harmful to us. Both can be harmful. You know, on the one hand, you may hear stories, and the stories come out, and they're a lot like warnings. I mean, even Joshua in the story says, choose today who you will serve, because God is a jealous God, and he won't forgive your rebellion or your sin. Uh, You know, people who threaten with the Bible uh, and who threaten with stories and they say things like, the wages of sin is death. And that gets thrown at you, that there are rules and they are not meant to be broken. Do this, don't do that. And the Lord knows, literally, the Lord knows uh, that religious people are the worst. Because to the religious people, Jesus broke too many rules. And so they start pointing it out, and they start a plot to kill him. No wonder we don't like to admit our weaknesses, our fears, our failures, our doubts. I mean, how can we be honest about our loyalty issues and failures when so many people, so many religious people especially, should on us all the time. But then there's another extreme that can happen. You may only hear the upsides of stories without acknowledgement of the downsides, the high points without the low points, the stories of victory that don't include the stories and the presence of defeat. There's this moment in Luke chapter 10, and after Jesus sends his disciples out to do ministry, the 72 return joyously saying, Lord, even the demons submit themselves to us in your name. And Jesus says to them, he says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Don't rejoice because the spirits submit to you. Rejoice instead that your names are written in heaven. Here's what's interesting in this moment. Jesus knows that it is unsustainable. It is unrealistic to build a healthy sense of self solely on our successes. If your identity is only built on doing well, if your identity is only built on being on your spiritual game, then who are you 
when you have an off day? Who are you when you mess up? Jesus says that your identity has to be rooted in something other than your circumstances because those will go up and down and change. There's a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 7, and it says this. It says, It was not because you were greater than all other people that the Lord loved you and chose you. In fact, you were the smallest of peoples. No, it is because the Lord loved you and because he kept his solemn pledge he swore to your ancestors. He is the faithful God who keeps the covenant and proves loyal. So let me ask you this. What storyline do you anchor your identity in? What storyline do you anchor your sense of self or your sense of value in? What the Bible teaches us is that you, you are God's son and you are God's daughter. You are chosen by him not because you are great. In fact, you are not great. You are not God wants to be in relationship with you, not because you are perfect, because you aren't. God chooses you and loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. Your Father in heaven loves you because you are his. And anything that God commands his people to do comes out of this constant desire that God has for you to experience life so that you will flourish and thrive. So who are you? You are someone who is deeply loved by a God who wants no less than for you to thrive in relationship with him. What the stories in the Bible remind us of is this. Will Israel be faithful to the covenant? No. Will God's people obey all of God's commands all of the time? No. Will God's people mess up? Yes. (laughs) So then, what does God do? Who is God in this story? I mean, when God's people fail, how will God respond? The surprising thing is that God acts contrary to our expectations. Even when we fail, God never fails, and he never gives up on us. When you mess up, when you have loyalty issues, God is moved by compassion, because God loves you. And there's this thing, he stays faithful and relentlessly pursues relationship with you. I mean, if you read all the stories in the Bible from start to finish, the most consistent theme throughout all of the stories is that God has this incredible mercy towards us. The surprise in the story is that God never pays us what we're fully due according to the law. And it's so hard for us to grasp that. 
Because for those of us who follow Jesus, what often happens for us is that while we may have this one experience of this undeserved grace and experiencing God's mercy, what we automatically do is that we try to then maintain what we receive from God by good behavior. Uh, we try to maintain it through spiritual disciplines, through benevolent deeds and, and actions and serving out in the community. And we become these people who start to rate character as deserving or undeserving. We begin to, we begin to categorize people as spiritual or not spiritual. And we start drawing lines for who is in and who is out. And we draw conclusions based on what we're seeing with our own eyes. And the interesting thing is that we do that, and what's bad about it is that we've lost the plot of the story. We've lost the narrative, because the God in the Bible is irritatingly, at least to religious people, he is irritatingly gracious and generous in love. Brennan Manning, the person I referenced earlier, he says this, he says, this vulgar grace is indiscriminate compassion. It works without asking anything of us. It's not cheap, it's free. And as such will always be a banana peel for the orthodox foot and a fairy tale for the grown-up sensibility. Grace is sufficient even though we huff and puff with all our might to try to find something or someone it cannot cover. Grace is enough. He is enough. Jesus is enough. And this kind of love, this, this is hard to comprehend, but this is precisely the good news that Jesus brings. The alternative is to believe that we come to it by doing right all the time, which is actually bad news, because who of us can keep up? Who of us can stay on the straight and narrow, can be good, can do all the right things enough to keep up? Phil Anderson wrote this, he says, as people living in intimate union with God, we need to become better known for what and who we actually are. Perhaps a good place to begin would be telling the world before the world does its own investigation that we're not as bad as they think. We're worse. Let's get real. If we really believe the gospel we proclaim, we'll be honest about our beauty and brokenness, and the beautiful broken one will make himself known to our neighbors through the chinks in our armor and in theirs. Each one of us has a part or parts of our story that we would prefer not to tell, that we would prefer would remain hidden. But here is the invitation to each one of us that we can admit that we are powerless and that our lives are unmanageable when we are left on our own. If you do that from a place of honesty, allow God to surprise you by how he loves you even when you are at your worst, 
Allow God to bring you to a place of freedom in him and allow him to do it over and over and over and over again. This morning, I want to lead you down a different Romans road. For those of you who have been a part of a church for some time, there's a Romans road that sometimes we lead people down. But would you notice this path through Romans? Don't you realize that God's kindness is supposed to lead you to change your heart and life? It's not the other way around. Your lack of faith won't cancel God's faithfulness. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory, but all are treated as righteous freely by his grace. We even take pride in our problems. This hope doesn't put us to shame. While we were still weak, at the right moment, Christ died for ungodly people. Though maybe someone might dare to die for a good person, God shows his love for us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And God invites us to be honest about our struggle. And so we confess, Lord, the desire to do good is inside of me, but I can't do it. I don't do the good that I want to do, but I do the evil I don't want to do. I am a miserable human being. But there is good news. There isn't any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son. So you know this. All who are led by God's spirits are God's sons and daughters. Who or what will separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Nothing. God's mercy doesn't depend on a person's desire or effort. Some of you may be here this morning wrestling with your belief in God. You may be battling a variety of issues and addictions. You may struggle to know how faith fits into your own life. You may even be someone who feels more down than up these days. These next few moments, what we have is an opportunity. You have an opportunity to lift your voice up to God and to groan, to cry out, and just ask God to meet you right where you are at with his compassion and with his grace. And to trust in the promise that no matter how you're feeling, no matter what you have going on, no matter how messed up you are or feel, no matter what it is that you have done, God loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. And in these moments is your opportunity to receive that love and that grace for the first or the thousandth time. So would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Our gracious God, as we gather together, Lord, we all come into this space with stories and with things uh, that maybe we would rather left be unknown or unsaid or, or out there, God.
Sometimes it's different things that we carry in our hearts and just sit in the backgrounds of our minds. It might be something that happened last week. It might be something that was 10 years ago. Uh, So God, whatever it is, however we enter this space from the most joyful and confident to the most doubting and dirty and regretful, Lord, I pray that you would meet each and every person who is here and present And that, God, what we would hear this morning is this radical message of love and grace. That we wouldn't try to get after it on our own, God. That we wouldn't try to make empty promises or do it ourselves. Because we know that we can't. We're miserable human beings. But thank you, God. Thank you that that doesn't catch you by surprise. And that you love us that way. You love us in all our beauty and brokenness. So Lord, help us hear that and know that this morning. Amen. Amen. What a good word. What a powerful word. Will you stand with me? We're going to be dismissed. I hope and pray that uh, God will continue to remind you of this message. If you want to talk with Allison or with one of the pastors, you can come this way while others are going that way. And we're going to pray that uh, the Lord will be with us all week long, especially at family camp and especially in whatever else God is up to in your life. So Lord, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. And we pray that it would find a home in our hearts. We lean into you. We follow you. We listen to your spirit's voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The Lord go with us all.